Welcome to Frontline Church, South OKC's podcast, where each week we upload a new sermon from our sermon series. If you have any questions or concerns or need prayer for anything, feel free to reach out at hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you. The scripture from today's sermon comes from Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. The word of God speaks to us. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates, and he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Awesome. Hey, y'all can grab a seat. Good morning. Uh, if we've not had the chance to meet, my name is Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors here. It's really good to worship Jesus with you today. Hey, we've got, uh, we got people from all across the room, all across uh, different backgrounds, people that have been walking with Jesus for years and years and years. And we also have people here that are not following Jesus and trying to figure out where they stand, what they think about all of this. Maybe you're invited here by a friend or maybe you're here for baby dedications. Either way, we are really glad that you're here. Uh, We're not claiming to know all the answers, but we would love to process with you as you wrestle with some of the claims that Jesus has made. So it's really good to worship with you today. Hey, just a couple of quick things before we jump into Proverbs 31. We're going to work our way through uh, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. But before we do that, just briefly, I want to remind you that we are five weeks away from Easter Sunday. Isn't that wild? Five weeks away. And, you know, it's sort of think of Easter like your, your kid's birthday where if you have a child, you love your child all the time. But on their birthdays, like, we really go big and celebrate. Well, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday as a church. That's what we're doing. We're celebrating that Jesus is alive and has moved towards us and forgiven us and loved us. But Easter Sunday is like the birthday party, right? This is, we're going to go big and really celebrate the resurrection. And I, uh, I, I sent you a letter in the mail. Those of you who are members of our church, you'll either have, you either got that or will get that in the next couple of days. And I want to invite you, if you're a member of Frontline, to come underneath the burden with me and start prayerfully asking who God might want you to invite on Sunday. The goal of that has nothing to do with us trying to grow our church. Jesus is the one who grows his church, and Jesus is the one who shrinks churches. He can grow or shrink this church based on what he would like to do. So what we want to do is be faithful to invite people because we're going to do our very best to preach very clearly the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. 
And we just believe that when the gospel is preached, dead hearts come alive. That's what we believe. So come underneath the burden with me. We've got Good Friday services happening all day downtown at our Frontline Downtown Congregation, all five congregations together. And then here we'll be hosting Easter Sunday at 9 and 11. And we're going to add extra chairs. We're going to have our balcony ready. We'll have overflow in the den. We'll have, God willing, plenty of space for guests. So, man, please start prayerfully thinking about a neighbor or a coworker or a family member or somebody in your life that you want to invite that doesn't have a church home and maybe isn't a Christian. That might be a day that they show up. Sound good? Okay, uh, let, let's jump in. We've got a lot of ground to cover. I want to pray for us, and then we will get after it. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the gift that it is to gather and just to, just to rehearse again and remember again your faithfulness, to remember again that the night won't last, that, that, that even in our darkest day, you're faithful to us. I needed that today. I needed to be reminded of that, so thank you for your love And today, my friends do not need my voice. They do not need my words. I don't have virtually anything good to offer them. If you do not come and move, this is a waste of time. So would you come and would you move and would you take the word of God and make it make sense? I pray that you would give gifts to our ladies today. I pray that you would give gifts to to, uh, grow us as men and women of virtue. God, we pray that the men of this church would cultivate the ladies in this church, and the ladies in this church would, would continue to be a blessing to the men in this church. We, we receive all of your gifts today. We pray that you would pour out new ones and come and speak to us through your word. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Uh, you, you may have heard the story of the turkey recipe that was really famous. That was a family recipe, and step one of the recipe was really bizarre. It was cut off the left side and the right side of the turkey. And then, you know, you had some other steps included in there. Um, and, and you would ask the, the people that gave the recipe, like, why do you cut off the left and the right side of the turkey? How does that help the turkey flavor and the overall cook and all of that? And they would all just, you know, shrug their shoulders and go, it's grandma's recipe. And, and her turkey was always the best turkey. And step one said, cut off the left and cut off the right side of the turkey. So finally, they asked their grandma, they're like, hey, so what, what's the deal with that? Why do we cut off the left and the right sides of the turkey. And she's like, I don't know why you're doing it. I did it because my oven was too small to fit a whole turkey. And that's a silly story, but the, the point of that is that sometimes what we inherit is a copy of a copy of a copy, and we actually forget, like, why are we even doing this, and what is this even about? And sometimes we misunderstand and make assumptions about things, and nowhere is that more true than with the Bible. When you forget that the Bible is ultimately not a book that's saying, be good, or be like such and such, but when you forget that the Bible is ultimately a story about Jesus and what Jesus has done, things can get really weird, And things that God intended to be beautiful can be harmful. And nowhere is that more true, I think, than Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is a beautiful passage of scripture that if you grew up in church, often got twisted and abused and misused, that over time is no longer beautiful. It has sort of become like a copy of a copy of a copy. And I wonder how many of you ladies, while this was being read just a minute ago, kind of were like internally rolling your eyes. Like, oh, here we go. Here's the typical, you know, here's the 37 points that I have to do to achieve godly femininity, to, you know, do all the things that a godly woman is supposed to do. And I think that what happens is we've got two voices, 
two voices that are shouting out at, out at us with Proverbs 31. The first is the Bible Belt voice, and the Bible Belt voice essentially is saying, hey, uh, this lady here is what every lady should be. And everything about her life that you see in Proverbs 31 is the snapshot that until these things are true of you, you are not a woman of virtue. You're actually not a woman who is a godly woman. You've got to achieve all of these steps before you can be seen as a virtuous woman. I I talked to a lady this last week who said, early on as a young girl growing up in church, Proverbs 31 was something I aspired to. And the older I got, it became a crushing weight. It became a crushing weight. And I know that there's ladies in this room that um, rather than this being a blessing to you, it's like some of the most godly ladies I know have been crushed by the ways that this has been mishandled. And it's sort of like pressing a heavy weight down on you. So that's one voice that we've got to deal with, the, the Bible Belt cultural voice. The other voice that we have to deal with is the cultural voice. And the cultural voice is even worse in some ways because it actually takes all the values of our culture and then adds on top of it the crushing weight of Proverbs 31. Here's what our culture is telling all of us, but especially ladies. Hey, ladies, you need to have it all, and you need to have it all right now. And you need to have it all right now, and you need to have it in perfect balance and harmony, and you need to look drop-dead gorgeous while doing it. This is what our culture says to ladies. And so take that narrative on top of Proverbs 31, and here's how it gets twisted. This becomes turned into a girl boss who buys vineyards, rises early while also keeping the lamp burning all night, who also runs a homeless ministry, a textile business, and a women's ministry. She posts recipes to Instagram. She homeschools her kids, all while keeping it hot in the bedroom and perfectly managing her macros and micros and looking good while doing it. And it's like, this is ridiculous. What have we done to this? And I just want to remind you, no matter what voice that you're prone to listen to, I want to remind you of the role of Proverbs for the people of God. One of my favorite pastors, Ray Ortland, says it this way. He says, God does not intend to crush us with layer upon layer of demand. He intends to help us. The book of Proverbs is practical help from God for weak people like us stumbling through daily life. It is his counsel for the perplexed, his strength for the defeated, his warning to the proud, his mercy for the broken. The book of Proverbs is the gospel. It's good news for the inept through the wisdom of another. It is about grace for sinners. It is about hope for failures. It is about wisdom for idiots. This book is about Jesus himself coming to us as our counselor and our sage and our life coach. One of the things I want to do today, especially for you ladies, I want to give you back Proverbs 31. I want to show you why this is a beautiful, amazing passage. So just a couple of things about it before we work our way through. I've got three things that I want you to see, but just a few kind of entry points to wrap your head around what's happening here. Proverbs 31 is actually a Hebrew alphabet acrostic poem. It's a Hebrew alphabet acrostic poem, meaning the very first verse of Proverbs starts with the very first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and then every verse after that consecutively works its way down to where the last verse is the last 
uh, letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's an acrostic poem. And what this is designed to be is an invitation to you ladies, not a here's a 31-point check-in system to see if you're godly or not. This is not a snapshot of this woman's life at any given point. This is actually more like a eulogy that would be spoken at the death of a godly woman as people gather to reflect on and celebrate her life. This is like a eulogy where you would stand up at that funeral and say, let me tell you about this virtuous woman. Let me tell you about this godly woman. Uh, This, in fact, I'll, I'll go a step further to say, it's actually impossible for all of Proverbs 31 to be true for all women at all times. It's impossible. Let me show you why I think that. In the text, it says that her children rise up and call their mother blessed. If you're in the room and you have a three-year-old, your three-year-old will not rise up and call you blessed. They will rise up and pee on your couch. They will rise up and bite your face. They, they will rise up and tear everything apart. They are cute and they are wicked at the same time, but they will not call you blessed. You actually have to wait till your kids are at a certain age, and maybe, just maybe, as they, they reflect back on their life, they might call you and say, you did a great job, Mom. Thank you, right? So this is not true of every woman. In addition to that, it says that her husband sits at the gates, serves as an elder at the gates. He's an older man who now sits in the town square offering wisdom to younger men. Ladies, if you just got married and you're in the early stages of uh, marriage as a newlywed, you do not have an older husband who is sitting at the gates counseling younger men. This is not a snapshot of her life at any given point. This is a eulogy that's spoken at the very end of a life that's lived well. So what I want to just say to you is this woman in many ways functions as a physical, uh, symbolic representation of lady wisdom in the Proverbs. And this is holding up godly, amazing, feminine virtue as an invitation from your Father in heaven just to feel all the freedom in the world to make your life matter for God. That's what this is. Receive this as an invitation to build, as, as an invitation to bless and to foster the life in the kingdom of God that he has given you. Now, this is the last week of our Feminine Virtue series. Week one, we talked about women as life givers. Week two, we talked about women as sisters. Today, we're talking about women as wives. I get that not everybody's married in the room. I'm gonna be as broad as possible because Proverbs 31 is pretty broad. And I think most of this is applicable to all women at any given stage of life, married or single. So with that in mind, three things I want you to see. Here's the first one. I want you to notice her mission. Notice her mission. Look at verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. Verse 12. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. There's something that I want you to see about this that is often overlooked, and it's because most of us in the room don't read Hebrew. But in, in the original language, this isn't just a Hebrew uh, alphabet acrostic poem, but there's language that's embedded into Proverbs 31 that is actually more akin to ancient warrior hero poetry than it is just regular poetry. 
What I mean is there's certain words that have been toned down in our English translations, but if you were to read this as an ancient Israelite, you would recognize that this, ling- this, this passage is littered, absolutely littered with warrior hero type phrases. Let me just give you a couple of, of examples. Uh, the word excellent used in verse 10 for an excellent wife who can find is actually the word valiant or military prowess. It's really interesting. Verse 11, this word for gain is actually the word for plunder or for spoil. So when it says that her husband has no lack of gain, it's saying her husband has no lack of plunder, that this woman is someone who goes out and plunders and brings back plunder for her family. Verse 15 says she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. That word for food in verse 15 is actually the word for prey. So here's what I want you to realize, friends. This whole passage is actually holding up this lady as a warrior hero for the people of God. She is more like a King David, if you will, or a Gideon or a Samson or a Joshua in the Old Testament than she is just a housewife. She is a warrior hero. In fact, one of the most well-known Old Testament scholars that's alive today, Trimper Longman says this. He says, one of this poem's most curious features is the occasional use of military terminology. Life's struggles here are envisioned as a war and the woman as an active and successful participant in taming life's chaos. What I want you to see is that actually God has given women, whether married or not, he has given women this mission where the sphere of their life is not just going about doing random things, but actually the life that God has assigned you is a mechanism for how you are pushing back against the darkness of our world. This is powerful, and this is countercultural both for them then and for us today. Here's how it was countercultural then in an ancient society. Because wrongly, what had happened is that um, men were elevated above women in value and worth and in dignity. Women were de-elevated. They, they, were, they, were, they were brought lower than men and not as valued like men were in the ancient world. And so the, the, the dynamic that was at play in an ancient society was that the men were the ones that went out and did all of the good stuff. They were the ones that went out and fought the battles. They were the ones that went out and did the meaningful stuff. They were the ones that went out and pushed back against the dark of God's enemies by waging these wars, and yet God in Scripture again and again and again, and Proverbs 31 is no exception, he's reorienting this ancient perspective. And he's saying, actually, women are equal with men, and what they are doing in their domestic sphere, what they are doing as a wife, what they are doing with their children, actually is pushing back the darkness just like David fighting Goliath. They are warrior heroes in scripture. That was countercultural then. And it's countercultural today, but for very, very different reasons. Here's what I mean. In our moment, marriage and the mission of marriage has been totally broken. It's been completely flipped up on its head. And now we no longer have a clue as a culture what marriage is even for. And rather than marriage as this entity or as this uh, covenantal relationship between a man and a woman that is meant to be, we put this marriage first and my desires second to that, what's happened now in our society is that my desires take front and center and us become secondary. 
So what we want is less important to what I want. In fact, one of the uh, proponents of this, uh, a woman by the name of Tara, Tara Parker Pope, wrote a really fascinating New York Times article several years ago titled, The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage. And listen to what she says. She says she's defending this mission of a me marriage. She says the notion that the best marriages are those that bring satisfaction to the individual may seem counterintuitive. After all, isn't marriage supposed to be about putting the relationship first? Not anymore. For centuries, marriage was viewed as an economic and social institution, and the emotional and intellectual needs of the spouses were secondary to the survival of the marriage itself. But in modern relationships, people are looking for a partnership, and they want partners who make their lives more interesting, who help each of them attain valued goals. Therefore, marriage used to be about us, but now it is about me. In our cultural moment, marriage and its very mission has become, what do you got for me? How are you going to help me? How are you going to fulfill me? How are you going to meet my needs and my demands and my desires? And so now what happens is like, I've got to find someone that I think is drop dead gorgeous. They've got to have a personality that is, you know, you know, perfectly fitted to me, but they can't change me. There's nothing about them that can ever change me and my desires. And they can't get in the way of ultimately what I'm pursuing. And if they do, then I'm out and I'll go find somebody else who will meet those desires. The, the, the whole mission of marriage in our culture is all about me. And yet, you don't see any of that in Proverbs 31, do you? What you actually witness in Proverbs 31 is a woman who uses all of her strength and all of her power and all of her gifting and all of her sphere and all of her relationships to actually put herself back so that she can be a blessing and a benefit to everyone else around her. She's got this warrior-like energy that is poured out in serving and in caring for and in nurturing and in uplifting and in blessing and in bringing life to her husband and her children and her sphere of influence. Another way to say it is the Proverbs 31 woman is exactly what God intended for women to be when he created the first woman uh, as we read in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 1, God made uh, uh, male and female as equal in value, worth, and dignity. Both men and women represent God in the world and reflect God in the world. But when you get to Genesis chapter 2, you see that the way that men reflect and represent God is actually distinct and unique to their masculinity. And women represent and reflect God in a way that's distinct and unique to their femininity. And what we read in Genesis 2 about women is this, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, I've said this before if you've been here, but if, if not, man, this word helper sounds a little bit like wah-wah, doesn't it? It's like that, that doesn't sound significant. Like, the, the image we have in our head is you know, a lady holding a tray of drinks while all the men do all the hard work, and you know, the ladies are just there like, here, I'm here to help. If that's your vision of helper, it's totally wrong. It's completely wrong. Because the word for helper that's used in Hebrew is azer, and azer means warrior rescuer. Helper is a bad translation. Warrior rescuer. It's used 21 times in the Old Testament, and only two times is it referred to about women, both in Genesis chapter 2. The rest of the times, guess who it references? 
God as the helper of his people, the warrior rescuer of his people. And I just want to say, ladies, you might not feel like your marriage is significant. You might not feel like your parenting is significant. For those of you that are not married, you might not feel like your uh, domestic sphere or relational sphere or whatever. You might not feel like it's significant, but you have to understand that God has wired you and gifted you and made you to be a warrior rescuer that does the type of stuff that this lady's doing in Proverbs 31. You're enhancing and serving and protecting and blessing and rescuing those in your life. It is the way that God has wired you to push back darkness. It's a beautiful gift. He has made you a beautiful gift. In fact, if you think about Proverbs 31 from the alternative perspective, think about how deficient the husband of Proverbs 31 would be if he didn't have a woman like this by his side. Completely deficient. And I don't know, for those of you married men in the room, I don't know if you feel this, I feel this regularly, that if I did not have my wife, I don't know how I would do most of what I do. I don't know how things would function. Now, some of you are single and you're like, well, I'm doing it. I know, praise God, we're praying for you. We're proud of you. I'm just saying, I needed it. I, I could not, I, like literally, I, I, I'm barely functional as a human being. <laughs> And there's something about my wife that has just been a massive gift that's actually called me up to want to be a better man because of how good of a woman she is. This is the gift that Proverbs 31 is. So her mission. Now, let's get a little bit more specific. What exactly is it that she's bringing to the table that is unique and fruitful? Well, the second thing I want you to see, not just her mission, but her virtue. Her virtue. I love this. Uh, when you read Proverbs 31 carefully, you start to wonder, like, is there anything here for modern people? You know, th this woman lives in a very different agrarian society. Is there anything we can glean from her lifestyle? Because uh, 2024, uh, living in South Oklahoma City or more, Norman, does not feel like what I'm reading in this passage. I mean, we're reading about textiles and vineyards and maid servants. Wouldn't it be awesome to have a couple of those around? Like, give me all the male servants and, and female servants. Like, I'm, I'm in on that, you know. Uh, we don't have that anymore. Handmade linen garments, city gates, all of it. Uh, you read it and you go, is there anything here for people like us in a modern culture? Actually, what I want you to realize is to pay more attention to the unique fruit that she is bearing rather than the unique context that she finds herself in. Because there's some fruit here, and I'll just say it this way, there's some virtues here that she is displaying that I think that we actually can learn from and can glean from. The first one that we see is beauty, her beauty. Now, in, in a porn-drenched culture like ours, beauty has been reduced down to strictly physical and sexual appeal. But true beauty has something that has actually very little to do with that at all. Beauty is what happens in the life of a woman where her heart is oriented around God. God becomes the gravitational pull of her life, and everything else gets ordered rightly around that. And that inner beauty that's cultivated over time begins to emanate outward in a host of awesome ways. This is what beauty actually is. Notice what it says in verse 30 about this woman's beauty. It says, Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who fears the Lord, a woman whose gravitational pull in her life is God, 
is beautiful. And what happens is this inner beauty that's cultivated begins to work its way outward and, and the fact that she touches everything and makes everything else beautiful, whether it's her relationships, whether it's her physical spaces, whether it's the economic sphere that she finds herself in, everything is made better because of her beautiful presence. Look at what she does in verse 19. It says she puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household. Why? For all her household is, are clothed in scarlet. Not just any material, scarlet. It's talking to like the unique ways that she's bringing beauty to people in her life. Verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. This is all metaphorical language trying to describe that everywhere this woman goes, beauty is emanating out from her. Not physical, it's the inner person of the heart that's cultivated in the way that she touches all the things that she touches and makes them better. Ladies, this is the gift that you are. Where you go and what you do, you make things more beautiful, not just because of you and not, not mainly even because of your, your outward beauty. You make things inherently more beautiful because that's how God has wired you to be. Depth is the second thing I want you to notice. Look at verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. I love this. There's something of depth about this woman. She's given herself to a lifetime of having something to say and having a life to say it from. It's really easy in our culture to have something to say. Podcasts for days. Everybody has a hot take. I have hot takes about stuff I shouldn't even have opinions about, right? So everybody has something to say, but it's a different thing when you cultivate something to say and a life to say it from, and that's powerful, man. Uh, this idea of depth, when I, when I read of it, I just brag on my own wife for a minute. Man, my wife is someone who has given herself to reading deeply, to learning, to studying, to, to like acquiring wisdom. And now the, the way that I'm experiencing her is it's, it's like uh, the 21-year-old the, the Andrew could not imagine the gift 16 years in of marriage of having a woman who opens up her mouth and wisdom gushes out. It's like, man, that, that saved me more times than I can tell you. Like, it's helped me realize things about myself. It's helped me, you know, uh, not, not blow things up. She opens up her mouth, and there's this depth and this wisdom there that I'm better because of it. And I just want to say, ladies, that is the gift that you have and the potential that you have by God's grace. You've been wired to have a level of depth where when you open up your mouth, the men shut up because you've got something to say and a life to say it from. You're a gift in that way. In addition to that, notice her genuine admiration. Now, th this is, this is a, a pervasive temptation in our culture for everybody, but let me go out on a limb and say I think this is especially a pervasive temptation for women. And what I mean is, in our culture, it's really, really tempting to seek the admiration and approval and applause of a group of people that you don't even really know, but have the power to click a like button or not on social media. And, and you find yourself in this hamster wheel of like trying to prove yourself 
to everybody else. Look, I'm a good mom. Like, here's, you know, selfie with me and my kids at the park. See, we're, we're doing it. We're, like, I'm present. I'm, do, you know, look, look I'm, a, I'm a creative, uh, you know, I, I've got all this creative stuff that I've done to my house. Here's this photo. Here's the, look, I take great vacations too. Look, my, my marriage is awesome. Too. And it's like, we're all on this hamster wheel. Men and women do this. But, but I think it's a pervasive temptation for women right now to want to, like, put yourself out there as, like, see, I'm okay, right? I'm okay, right? And yet look at who is truly admiring this woman. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Here's what he praises her with. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. There's something about this, this almost quiet life that she has, or it's hidden because it's like she doesn't really care about what other people think. What she really values is her closest relationships and their perspective on her life. And this is a woman whose closest relationships want to stand up and applaud her. What a gift. Ladies, this is the invitation and the gift that you are. In addition to that, this peaceful presence that we see her operating out of. What, what would it look like to feel, uh, the, the, what would it look like to be in the room with a woman like this? What would it look like to have a woman like this in your relationships? Well, look at verse 18. It says, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Now, on first reading, it sounds like this woman stays up all night, you know? It's like she, her lamp doesn't go out. She stays up all night. And then there's another text that says she gets up while, the, while it's still nighttime and makes food. So you're like, this woman sleeps one hour a night. What is going on? That's crazy. But that's actually not what this passage is referencing. When it says her lamp does not go out at night, it's not saying that she's therefore in her room working hard on stuff. Her lamp doesn't go out at night, meaning if you were to see this house from afar, this is a house full of warmth and full of light. That this is a metaphor for how this woman has literally cultivated an environment where she herself is a peaceful presence for those that encounter her. I, I love the, the other things that it talks about. Uh, verse 21, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. This is one of my favorite lines. She laughs at the time to come. What a non-anxious, beautiful presence this is. And I just want to say, ladies, this is the gift that you are, and this is the gift that God has placed in you that you can continue to cultivate and aspire to. There is something about your presence. When you are rooted in God, you trust his sovereignty, you know who he is, and you know what he's done for you, and you remember his faithfulness. There's this thing in you where you can think about the future and just laugh at the time to come. Man, in a world full of anxiety and everyone freaking out all the time and everyone being so fragile about everything, we need more godly, amazing women who can just think about the future and laugh. That is a gift. There's many more things we could point out, but one more, her mercy. Her mercy. Now, on one, on one level, this woman is totally unconcerned with the thoughts and the opinions of other people. She has a healthy version of a who cares what they think which I think we need a little bit more of in our culture. We need a little bit more of the healthy version of who cares what they think, right? We, we need some of that. 
And yet, because this woman has that healthy who cares what they think, she, that doesn't mean that she's then built walls to only focus on her own husband and her own children and her own home to the exclusion and lack of blessing of everybody else. Look at what happens in verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Friends, both her fear of the Lord and her desire to bring beauty and depth and a peaceful presence to her family is now bubbling up and overflowing to where when she sees people in the city who have need, she moves towards them with a heart of love and a heart of a desire to give away. What a gift, her mercy, that she is actually uh, caring for people in the right way. And it's really only when you stop caring for people in the wrong way that you can care for people in the right way. Until you get a who cares what they think attitude, you can't get the let me live in such a way that's full of mercy in the right way. This woman is full of all these virtues, and there's so many more things that we could point out. But the last thing that I want you to see here, the third, the third point today, is like where does this lady get all this? Like where, where, what's, what's her source? What's the fountain of this woman's life? How is she getting all of these virtues? And, and how could I, how could we cultivate that? Well, her source Think of it this way. There's something fascinating if you read through the Bible. There's a group of us right now that are reading through the entire Bible for Lent. So 40 days, crash course through the entire Bible. It's bizarre. It's like the book of Job in a day, you know? And so you're reading these chunks. And one of the things that's stuck out to me that's fascinating is that there's all these women. There's a whole theme about this. There's all these women who find themselves at wells, water wells. I want to preach a sermon on this. I don't think anybody would show up and, you know, no one would like it, but I I would love it. I I want to preach a sermon on this because it's fascinating that there's this whole biblical theme of these women who are at water wells, and God meets them and interacts with them, and they end up, like, getting engaged in the mission of God in a really unique way, and I think that it's both physical in the sense of they're at a physical water well, but it's also symbolic, isn't it? There's something about, like, the source of life the source of water being the source of life, and then these ladies receiving life and offering that life to other people. So the question is, where where is this woman's well? Where where is she like getting the source and the fountain for living this way? Well, again, look at verse 30 one more time. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This is a woman who is sitting, sitting by a fountain that is the fear of God. And as this woman has encountered God, this big, weighty reality of who God is, it's rightly ordered her life. And now she's actually like caught up into the gravitational pull of who God is. And now it's the fountain for her whole life. Or to put it in a a New Testament way of saying it, this woman has encountered the, the love of God for her in Christ Jesus. This woman has actually been sought and pursued and loved and forgiven and cleansed by Jesus. This woman has been drinking deeply of God's love for her in the gospel. And, and I just want to end this whole sermon where we actually started our Feminine Virtue Conference. If you were at the Feminine Virtue, Virtue Conference, ladies, Leslie Poe, that first night, one of our female deacons got up and taught on union with Christ. And I just want to end there. This is where the fountain is. The fountain for a life of virtue is found in our union with Jesus Christ. 
what he is for you, who he is for you, what he has done in his perfect life and his death on a cross and his resurrection, it's made you who you are. And now as you find your ultimate identity and the fact that the Son of God died on a cross for your sin, rose again, and actually clothes you with his perfect righteousness, you are freed up and given the grace to pursue a life of virtue that is a blessing to everybody around you. So where do we go from here? Well, to single women in the room, remember, this is a mom who's actually writing to her son saying, a a valiant wife who can find an excellent wife who can find. I want you to know if you're single and you want to be married, some of you are single and you feel a call to be single, praise God for that. We want to support you. But if you're single and you want to be married, man, I just want to say to you, your life is not on hold until you get married. That you're actually still a gift now. In fact, some of the most godly women I know are not married and they carry the same type of virtue in their, in their, their being and in their presence. They're a gift And guess what? I just want to encourage you with this, that even if you are married, marriage eventually gives way to the reality, which is God's love for his bride, the church. So marriage is not ultimate, man. Marriage is not the end game for everything. It's a gift to be sure, but your life is not on hold and your virtue pursuits are not on hold until you get married. You can start this stuff now. Many of you are already doing so. To the single men in the room, Some of you men, you feel God's calling on your life to be single. Praise God for that. We want to support you. We want to pray for you. Being single for the kingdom of God is a massive gift, and we have your back. But many of you single men are not called to be married, or not called to be single. You actually will find yourself married one day. And I just want to say this as an older brother and as a pastor to you. Man, one of the the saddest things that I hear after preaching on uh, dating or talking about marriage or whatever is I'll have a group of awesome single ladies and they'll essentially say something like, where are all the good men? Where are the men of virtue? Where are the men who have their act together? Where are the... and, and, and it's not that they're like not wanting to get married. They want to get married. But they're... And I feel as a pastor a deep burden to help you as young men get your life together. This passage, remember, was written by a mom who is helping her son find a woman. So, so brothers... Like, wake up a little bit, fix what you need to fix, get help where you need to get help, reach out to an older brother who has their life together, and start pursuing women in a way that's appropriate and godly. Like, actually, this is going to require you to mature as a man if you're going to find a woman like this one day, right? This is going to make you actually be better as a man by God's grace to even deserve a woman as good as this. To married women, man, I just want to say thank you for being who you are. Thank you for being who you are. There's something about the, 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 the sacrifices. There's something about the covenant that you've made. There's something about the ways that you're staying faithful. There's something about the ways that you're relating to your children, the ways that you're relating to our church. Man, you are an absolute gift, and we are better because of your presence. And then finally, for married men in the room, do not, do not use Proverbs 31 as a 31-point checklist for if your wife is doing the right thing or not. That is actually not at all the point of Proverbs 31. If this becomes a stick that you bludgeon your wife with, you are absolutely mishandling the word of God. This text, yeah, yeah, you can, you can applaud that. This text, this text is so significant because notice what the husband of this wife is doing. Praising his wife, 
and blessing his wife. So brothers, that's the call on your life. If you're married, you need to find real ways to praise your wife and bless your wife for the ways that she's embodying Proverbs 31. And brothers, for the ways that she falls short, for the ways that she's struggling, for the ways that it's not yet true of her, all these things that you're seeing here, you're not to say stuff to her. Your job is to pray for your wife. Love her sacrificially in a way so that she can be washed with the water and the word and grow to be a woman like this. I want to invite you to stand with me, would you? When I read Proverbs 31, I don't know about you, like as a man, I read Proverbs 31 and I'm so aware of the gap between who I want to be versus who I am. I aspire to be one way. And who I am is like, I just fall short all the time. And so it's easy, I I wonder, for many of us to feel that today. Like, man, I just fall short. There's things about my life that aren't virtuous. And there's things about my life that aren't beautiful. And there's things about my life that are out of order. And I don't love the way I should love. And I don't serve the way that I should. And and if you you hear all of that today, man, can I remind you of the louder voice, maybe the loudest voice. And it's the voice of your Father in heaven who is saying, remember, Jesus on a cross had his body broken for you. He had his blood shed for you. Where you have failures, this is a good place to be because Jesus covers our failures. If you're hopeless today, this is a great place to be because Jesus is hope for the hopeless.